This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. Lauren Friedman has gone after her dreams ever since she was fresh out of school, whether it was moving to San Francisco or finding the exact job she wanted or carving out an incredible position at Adobe, Lauren has achieved it. And I think you'll learn a lot from her story and how you can achieve your own dreams too. Take a listen. Welcome Lauren to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Carrie. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. And as we do with all of our guests, I want to start learning first about you. So tell me the story of your career and how you got to be the head of global social business enablement at Adobe. I know it's a mouthful. So uh, I started my career in 2009. Um, I fell in love with San Francisco and I decided that after I graduated college, I had to live in San Francisco no matter what even if it was just for six months and I came home, which is in Colorado, I came home to Colorado with my tail between my legs. I could say that, you know, I lived in San Francisco for six months. So after I graduated, I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder and I graduated and uh, was basically looking for a job in social media. Uh, I was previously studying journalism at the University of Colorado and kind of saw the shift in the way that we communicate and really kind of fell in love with social media uh, at the newspaper that I was uh, editor-in-chief of. And so when I graduated, I decided that I wanted to work in social media and live in San Francisco. So those were kind of my two requirements. Okay. Uh, I applied for a bunch of jobs in San Francisco. Uh, some were a little bit crazy. I applied for a job at a, an astrological website, Amazing. Uh, which was, which was pretty, pretty strange since I was not, and am not really into astrology. Um, and I ended up getting a, an interview at a small startup called context optional. Um, and context optional had a very vague website, but it had a lot of brand logos, very familiar brand logos, like, Dell and Expedia and ABC Family. And uh, so that obviously kind of piqued my interest. And um, I I decided that, you know, I I wanted to interview, I wanted to check out that team, see what they were actually up to, see what the role was all about. Uh, So still in Colorado, uh, interviewed for this position. Uh, Meanwhile, I was actually interviewing at at another company uh, for a social media position as well. And this was a real estate company. Again, not into real estate, but into social media. It'll get me to San Francisco, whatever it takes. And the real estate company offered me a job. Uh, And it was a contract job. 
very small amount of money, but again, you know, new grad, want to be in the big city, it'll get me out there. Yeah, I can thing. bartend. Yep. Yeah, I can bartend on the side if I need to work in the restaurant industry. So the real estate company offered me a job and I still really wanted that job at Context Optional. So I, I was interviewing with one of their leads of, of business development and I told him, I said, you know, hey, I got this other job and I'm in kind of a tough spot. Your job A, this is job B, but job B gets me to San Francisco. So what do I do? Can you push along this interview process? And he, he said, you know, no, we really like to meet our candidates in person, which is understandable. Yeah. Uh, and, we, we, you know, we really like to meet our candidates in person. I don't think we can expedite this process. But once you move to San Francisco, let's make sure that we stay in touch and potentially there will be an opportunity in the future. So it was kind of bittersweet. I was, you know, a little bit disappointed that they couldn't push through the process with context optional. But at the same time, I was excited because my dream of moving to San Francisco was really about to come uh-huh. through. So not come the through. ideal yeah, yeah. job at the moment. Like you took the job that wasn't your first pick because it got you to the next step. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. But then through I'm a ready. little curveball cur- curve in here, uh, the CEO. So I accept the position at the real estate company okay. and uh, haven't signed any paperwork, but you know, things are moving forward and the CEO of Context Optional sends me an email at 9 p.m. and says, Lauren, I hear you got another job offer. Can we talk? I was like, oh, crap. What do I do? I just accepted this job at this real estate company, but I really want this job at Context Optional. So, yeah, we can chat. Uh, So he called me at 8 a.m. the next morning, and I sat through – 14 interviews. There were 14 people at Context Optional when I started. Wow. And, uh, and every one of them I interviewed? Every single person? Every, pretty much. I would say pre- it certainly felt like it. Pretty much everyone interviewed me. Um, and uh, at the end of that rigorous interview process, I got the job. Uh, and I remember actually exactly where I was. I was at Costco with a friend uh, shopping for dog food. And the <laughs> the CEO of Context Optional, Kevin Berenblatt, uh, gave me my offer. And I didn't have paper, but I had a pen. So I wrote my offer details on the dog food bag. That is and I wish hysterical. I still had it. I hysterical. wish I still had it. <laughs> so then, of course, I had to make a very tough decision because I've always been taught, you know, your word is all you have. And and I committed to this real estate company that I would be joining their team. And so what do you do in that kind of situation? Do you say, you know, hey, sorry, context optional, you snooze, you lose. Or do you make kind of this decision internally and say, you know, context optional is going to be better for me and better for my career in the long run and make that kind of a tough decision. So I made that tough decision. Uh, I had a, a very tough conversation with uh, the real estate company. Oh, I'm who sure. Hung up on me. I'm you sure. Know, hung up on me at the end of it. They were not pleased, um, but ended up taking the position at Context Optional, which was uh, called a community genius. It was kind of before <laughs> community managers uh, became kind of that the coined term, and uh, took that job at Context Optional. Um, and two weeks later, I moved to Con- I moved to San Francisco. Uh, packed up all my stuff. I had three days to find an apartment, sign a lease, get a set of keys, which 
I, you couldn't do now in 2016, and yeah. I could barely do it in 2009, uh, and moved out there and met my boss and the CEO and all my coworkers for the very first time in person uh, on my first day. So wow. started my career at Context Optional, uh, kind of transformed uh, that, that company. Uh, at the time when I joined, uh, we were a, a social marketing company, so we built uh, custom Facebook applications for brands uh, that were just really getting into the social space. So if you're familiar with Chase Community Giving, uh, Chase had $10 million to give away to charities around the world. Context Optional built the Facebook application that allowed Facebook users to vote for where that money was going. And so uh, it was pretty technical, um, but I was brought on because all of these brands were starting these Facebook pages and having launching these Facebook applications and they were uh, getting all of these people to like their page and they had no idea what to do with them. They're like, oh my gosh, they're talking to us. What do we say? Uh, what do we do? What, how do we respond? And yep. they didn't have the resources internally to, to do that. Yep. So they brought me on to help uh, kind of be, be that community manager uh, for those brands and, and help them kind of develop the best practices around customer service and responding and, and social marketing, uh, content marketing on social channels. So that's kind of how it started at Context Optional. Uh, we ultimately built a platform that helped uh, brands use social media to market. So it included moderation and analytics and uh, turnkey application building. And uh, I sort of built that services side of the organization. So the services that we provided to the customers that licensed that platform. Wow. In 2011, uh, the spring of 2011, we were acquired by a company called Efficient Frontier, yeah. which was a search, social, and display advertising platform. Yeah. And we thought that uh, their ad platform and our social media platform would make uh, a good, would be a good fit. Um, and 2011 was really kind of when pay to play uh, yep. started picking started off happening. on social yep. channels. Yeah. And so uh, we were acquired by Efficient Frontier. And then in January of the following year, so not even a full year, uh, we Efficient Frontier was acquired by Adobe. Wow. And so that's how I ended up at Adobe. So you went from a 14-person startup, it sounds like, uh, you know, to really have be in high-growth mode, to then be through an acquisition and then through another acquisition to come to this tech giant of Adobe. That's unbelievable. That was crazy. It was what, a crazy year. It must have been an insane experience. It was, it was definitely an interesting experience. It was... Uh, it was unlike anything that I've ever really gone through professionally, obviously, yeah. but, um, you know, context optional was a family and in many right. ways we still are a family. Right. Uh, in fact, I'm having lunch with my, my manager, my old manager today. Um, but going from this close knit ride or die family, that's building something incredible. Yes. And every time, you know, Facebook launches something or Twitter launches something or Pinterest launches something. That means, oh, guys, we're up all night and we're figuring out how to implement this and what services do we provide and how can we, you know, make this available for our customers tomorrow. Um, two, you know, kind of this mid-sized efficient frontier where we didn't really integrate right. uh, very well. 
Um, And then obviously it was kind of like, you know, medium sized fish ate the small fish and then the big fish ate the medium fish. Wow. Um, Yeah. And so how many of the people who are at context optional are still with Adobe now? How many people made that transition? Uh, so we stayed for for a while. Um, I would say, you know, about uh, probably about a year to two years, we had pretty much the full crew. Um, yep. And that's because Adobe, Adobe kind of left us alone. They said, you know, you're making magic. How can we help you continue making magic? Um, and then, you know, Adobe isn't an agency. Uh, Adobe doesn't, we do, of course, provide strategic services for our customers, but it's much more closely tied to the products that we sell. Yes. And so once that shift kind of started to happen on our team, you know, a lot, a lot of people ended up leaving. Um, so I would say there's probably, there's probably just a handful that's still there, but it's been five years, almost five years. So in navigating through that change, what allowed you to grow within Adobe? Like what was the skill set that you think really attributed to not only you staying on um, through such a changing environment, but growing? I mean, really growing in your career. Hands down relationships. So I actually, I stayed in the role that I was essentially in at Context Optional for about two years. Uh, and then I switched roles. So when I first joined Adobe, I uh, was leading the consulting services team. Um, and we, it was the same scenario. We provided services for our customers that licensed the now Adobe social platform. And then two years in, I said, okay, what's next? Uh, how can I grow? Maybe I don't want to be client-facing anymore. What do they have internally? And hands down, the relationships that I had built uh, with others, in the organization were totally, totally key in helping me grow, in finding me a new role, in bringing me, helping me create this role that is currently kind of my dream role, my perfect role um, Amazing. for now that, I, that I'm in. So I think relationships were key. And, and especially in acquisitions, it's really tough to assimilate, to not you know, just stay in your previously created family. It's tough to branch out and meet new people, and Adobe's a huge company, uh, but I think that my kind of networking skills and relationship building skills really took me to the next level. Amazing. And so tell me about this job now, the job that you've kind of built for yourself, this sort of dream job at Adobe. Tell me what you do and how it works today. I met with some leaders on the social team when I wanted to switch roles, and uh, they were really kind of asking me, okay, well, what do we need? What do you think that we need? And, um, you know, here's, here's what we think you would be amazing at. And my role at Adobe currently is kind of twofold. Um, as the mouthful title indicates, I'm the head of social business enablement. Yep. And my role is essentially uh, to infuse social media into every aspect of the way that Adobe does business, not just marketing. Got it. So I work across the entire organization to help each team understand how they can use social media to achieve their specific business objectives. So, for example, I work with the sales organization to help them use social media to build relationships with customers and prospects, generate leads, close more deals, all on social media. I work with HR to help them use social media for talent acquisition and talent retention. Um, 
you know, basically work cross-functionally to integrate social media into the fabric of the way that we do business. What are some of the biggest successes in the role? It must be very rewarding to see people who, you know, in the marketing department, we tend to understand and use social media much more, but in other departments, Mm -hmm. they are not as familiar. Tell me about some of the successes that you've seen in doing that and, and what's the most rewarding part for you of the job? Uh, The most rewarding part is turning some of the cynics into believers and especially with the, within the sales team, uh, we've got a lot of cynical folks that say, well, how is this really going to generate revenue? And how is this really going to, uh, you know, help me uh, with my pipeline? And, and once they start to see the results uh, and they see this light bulb go off and I get an email that says, Hey, I just want you to know I'm a believer. Uh, That's definitely one of the most rewarding feelings. I think getting uh, the uh, global social media training for all employees off the ground Amazing. and rolled out to all of our regions was a huge success and, and was a huge uh, rewarding experience for me as well. Um, turning that training into something that's a, from a live in-person training to a virtual learning experience was also wow. very rewarding. Um, so kind of learning the technology uh, working with a video crew to film other social media experts around the organization, creating polls and quizzes and kind of making that whole learning experience a valuable experience and engaging experience for everyone has been really rewarding. Getting buy-in from leadership, uh, that's also you know, a very rewarding uh, experience when you have a leader that says, yes, I believe in what you're doing. I want to sponsor it. Tell me what you need. Let's make this happen. Um, that's that's kind of an indicator that you're telling the right story and you've got the, the proof in, in uh, what you're, you're talking about. It's really incredible that you've been able to impact so many different departments at Adobe. It's, it's really a, a testament to not only your passion, but your ability to really persuade the right people that social is an important piece of the equation for all different kinds of business units. It's really, it's great. So you've been in social since 2009. You knew you wanted to be in social media. That was clearly uh, your focus. Tell me, it's changed a lot since 2009. What are some of the changes that you find the most interesting? Are there any new networks or changes to networks that you find particularly fascinating or interesting that you've seen evolve over time? Oh, man, yes. Social media has changed quite a bit. Uh, So I actually, three months into my job at Context Optional, I went up to the CEO and I asked him why he hired me. So I asked him, you know, you didn't meet me in person. Uh, why did you hire me? How did you know that I wasn't a serial killer? Which I'm not, for the record. But how did you know? You know, you'd never met me before in person. And he said that it was because of my personal blog and my Twitter account that he had a good understanding of who I was, of my sense of humor, of the things that I was interested in, my writing style, et cetera. And he knew that I'd be a good fit. And obviously, you know, six years later, almost seven years later, that's worked out all right. Uh, but the evolution, you know, I, I still have that personal blog, um, but it's changed. And I think the way that people consume content or the way they want their content to be consumed or to be produced so that they can consume it the way that they want to consume it has changed. Um, the a- attention span of a social media user has diminished. 
so, you know, we went from kind of the long form blog content, blogging yep. was huge in 2009. I met so many people, made so many friends through my blog. Um, and now, you know, I focus on sharing photos because that's what people want to see. They want to be able to see a photo and interact with a photo. Uh, and then, you know, watching that evolution even go from, you know, long form blogging to Twitter, 140 characters to Instagram, screw the characters. Now we're just going to look at images to Vine. Um, you know, now we've got six second videos, uh, that are on loop and, now we've got Facebook Live and Periscope that's live streaming your life. And so you see this kind of evolution from the way that people consume content and the way that people produce content um, as being much more uh, human, yeah. much more um, real time. And I think that's been an, it's been very interesting to watch. And you said something interesting before about the attention span. Like, you know, it's like you used to have a much more greater kind of uh, ability to consume longer form. But as there's more and more content out there, it kind of gets shorter and shorter on the on the imagery and even live stream. Like it's just in an instant, in a moment. It's so interesting to see. And tell me, do you have a favorite network personally that you use? And do you have a network that you recommend uh, for instance, in one of the departments that you've been doing training on. So in sales, are you using LinkedIn mostly? Tell me a little bit about how you use the different networks and what you use personally. Yeah. So I love Instagram, okay. uh, mostly because it's an opportunity for me to kind of flex any creativity or yes. photography muscles. Your inner photography Instagram, muscles. Yeah. But Instagram is also interesting because it's very curated. I actually had this conversation with, um, with my boyfriend, about the difference between Instagram and Snapchat, uh, because he doesn't really use Snapchat very much. And I say, well, Instagram is for my pretty pictures. Yep. And Snapchat is for the stupid stuff my cat does yep. that I want to take a photo of and share yep. it with people, but I don't want it to impact my beautifully curated Instagram exactly. You know, profile. Exactly. Exactly. So I love so I love Instagram for that. I love scrolling through and looking at photography, looking at people's lives. Uh, reading their stories on Instagram. Um, Snapchat's just kind of a, a fun channel. It's I don't necessarily get a lot of um, you know valuable insights, although some of the things that brands are doing on Snapchat now have been kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of a, a fun a fun channel um, for professionally and with the sales team specifically. Uh, you know we we focus on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, LinkedIn obviously is a great platform for professional networking. It's a great platform to be introduced to leads, prospects, to look at you know who's working at different organizations, and if you can use it correctly, saved searches, in mail, even you know leveraging Sales Navigator, you can make a huge impact using LinkedIn. But Twitter is also something that we focus on in the training because it's a little bit more personal, and. Uh, it allows you to kind of blend that personal and professional, which I don't do on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is purely professional for me, and I think that's how a lot of people feel. And so Twitter is a way to kind of add a little bit of personality. Um, it's to share, you know, what you like, what you're doing, what you're up to, uh, what you think. Uh, and it's also a very valuable kind of prospecting tool and market research tool for the sales team as well, creating Twitter lists, which I think is the most underutilized yes, and for sure. under kind of promoted 
uh, benefit of Twitter. I just wish Instagram would come up with lists. Um, oh, but, good prediction yeah. there. If you, that's a good suggestion. <laughs> we need to send it to Instagram immediately. Yeah. Love it. Uh, but Twitter lists are, are incredibly powerful to, you know, listen to people, to learn, to really become kind of that industry leader and build that trust because that's really uh, the way to sell these days. Incredible. Lauren, looking back at your overall career, it's clear you've done some really incredible things. What's one of the things that you've really learned uh, throughout your journey? I think the most important thing that I've learned is that you need to redefine what success looks like for you. Many of us kind of go into the workforce thinking, oh, I've got this corporate ladder to climb. I have this ladder that that just goes straight up, uh, straight up to the top. And in reality, uh, the latter isn't a straight shot. It's a total zigzag. Uh, and I think it's really important to keep your eyes out for opportunities that are everywhere, even if it's, you know, a, a parallel move or, uh, you know, something that's not specifically directly above you. Uh, that's really, really important. I love all of these insights. And so tell me, Lauren, where should people follow you or connect with you? What's the best network for them to connect with you on? If they want to, I'm not sure if you want them connecting with you for your inner photographer, or if you want them connecting (laughs) on Twitter or wherever you want, where's the best place for them to connect with you? And where should they follow Adobe to see some of the cool stuff that Adobe's doing? I am an open book, so you can follow me anywhere. I'm at Lauren underscore Hannah on pretty much every social network. So Instagram, Twitter, um, And that makes it very easy. And uh, as far as Adobe goes, I really love a lot of things that we do. We we do a lot. We feature a lot of our customers' work. Um, So especially if you're into creatives, I would definitely follow Adobe on Facebook um, because we post a lot of creations that our community makes. uh, And it's really, really inspiring. Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show today. You are one fabulous social lady. Thank you. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.